All right. It feels kind of weird to say good morning after already being up here on the stage, but good morning. We are continuing on in our series in 1 Corinthians. And last week we had Josh Jones here to kick off that series for us and give us some background on the book of 1 Corinthians. Now, if you're new to church, or even if you just take the time to think about it, some of the names of the books of the Bible kind of weird, right? Like 1 Corinthians, where did that come from? Now, but 1 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to a church that was in a place called Corinth. And Corinth was a little bit like Las Vegas. It could have the motto, what goes on in Corinth stays in Corinth. And there's all kinds of sin and corruption in that place. And some of that sin and corruption made its way into the church. And so in Paul's letter to this church, he addresses some issues going on. He addresses disunity within the church. He answers some questions about uh, eating food that's sacrificed to idols. He really like smacks down on them about inappropriate sexual behavior. And he talks to them and clarifies to, uh, with them about the resurrection and what will happen when Jesus returns. But out of all of those issues, first and foremost, Paul tackles this issue of disunity within the church. And he spends the first four chapters of this book talking about unity, which leads me to believe that unity is a pretty big deal to Paul. I think it's a big deal to God, and it should be a big deal to us as well. And I think that unity should be a big deal for us because disunity distracts us from our mission and our purpose as a church. A few years ago, one of my buddies was running a 50-mile race, and I agreed to be his pacer, which means that 25 miles into this race, I joined up with him just so that I could run with him, like suffer with him, encourage him, and get him to the finish line. And it's honestly a pretty sweet deal for me because at this point, my buddy's already tired out, so I don't really have to train hard for this race, and I can keep up with him. And this race was going all the way around one of the Finger Lakes in New York, and there were directions for the race course spray-painted on the road so that we knew which turns to take. And at one point, we were about to turn off of this road, and I look into the distance, and I see this runner just like chugging up the hill in the wrong direction. And so I'm confronted with this dilemma. Do I just shrug it off and be like, oh, too bad for that guy? Or do I do the honorable thing and chase after this guy and point him in the right direction? And since I'm not even competing in this race, and I've only run a few miles, so I have a lot of energy, I told my friend, all right, just go on ahead of me. I'll catch up with you later. Let me chase after this guy. So this guy's already way out in the hills. I have to run faster than him just to get to him. I burn out all my energy to get to him. I was like, hey, bud, did you realize that the race course turned back there? And he just looked at me, and he's like, Yo, man, I'm not even in the race. I'm just out here running for the heck of it. <laughs> so then I had to backtrack and run all the way that I came. Like, I tacked on maybe five miles to this run to catch up to my buddy. And I think the worst part of that is my friend had even slowed down a little bit so that I could catch up to him because I had taken so long. And so I wasn't there to be an encouragement to my friend. I wasn't there to help him get closer to that finish line because I was just distracted. I was off chasing the wrong guy and going off in the wrong direction. 
And my hope for us as a church is that we will be unified and going in the right direction, that we will all be a part of the mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus and that we won't be distracted chasing after our preferences, chasing after our agendas, or being more devoted to a leader in ministry than to God himself. And this was some of the issue of the Corinthian church. And we talk about making more and better disciples all the time at Bridgewater. I'm sure you've heard it a dozen times. If you got a dollar for every time we said it, you'd be very rich. That's kind of the short and sweet version of talking about what we're all about. But I want to just unpack that a little bit um, so that we can really focus on what our mission is. We're all about making more disciples of Jesus because as a church, we have the good news of salvation, that Jesus came down to earth to die on a cross so that we can have forgiveness of our sins and have a relationship with God, not only in this life, but for all of eternity. I was talking to Harry and Billy Jackson just last week, and a lot of you know that they're walking through some really tough health complications right now. Oh, this isn't for dramatic effect, but anyways... <laughs> Uh, so I just made the comment, like, I can't imagine somebody going through what they are going through without having the hope of Jesus, without knowing that there is a God in heaven who has a plan for their lives and he's in control, to know that there's a God who loves them and to have hope and peace that comes from God. And Harry's saying, yeah, I cannot even imagine that. And what breaks my heart is there are hundreds of people in our community just around the corner who are going through these hard times in, life, in their lives and they don't know the love of a God who cares about them. They aren't experiencing that peace and that hope and they don't have that hope for all of eternity. And so as a church, we want to be all about taking this good news to the people who don't yet have a relationship with God and we also want to be all about making more disciples of Jesus. And coming to faith in Jesus is not the finish line of our faith journey. It's really the starting point. And we say this all the time at Bridgewater, that everybody has a next step. And this is something that I'm working on each and every day. This is something that I hope we are all working on together as a church that we can build one another up, encourage each other, and be there for accountability so that someday we will stand before God knowing that we have done all that we can to grow closer to him and to live in obedience to him. And so let's not let disunity get in the way of that mission as a church. If you want to follow along with me in your Bibles, we will be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Picking up in verse 10. So we're going to take a look at a pretty good example of a bad example. The, the Corinthian church is not getting it right here. So in verse 10, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly unified in mind in thought. Now, Paul is not just saying, like, all right, shape up because I said so. But he says that don't be perfectly unified in mind and thought in the name 
of Jesus Christ. He's appealing to God. This whole idea of unity, it's not Paul's idea. It's not something that he just thought up and now he's going to tell the church what to do. But this is what God wants for the church in Corinth. And I think this is what God wants for us as well. And so what does it look like to be perfectly unified in mind and thought? I mean, that sounds pretty impossible. If Kurt was preaching this message, he might say that everybody should be a Browns fan. And we know that's not biblical. So what is that all about? You see, real unity is not uniformity. And the way I like to think about it is like a puzzle. You see, in a puzzle, it is made up of all different pieces, different shapes, sizes, and colors. No one piece is exactly alike. They're not uniform, but they can all come together to form one big picture. And I think that's kind of what it's like for us, that it's okay for us to have differences. We don't all have to have the same opinions, the same preferences. We can have disagreements and what we think the best, best methods are. But what matters is that we can all come together to form one big picture, that we can all be unified about the one God that we serve and worship, that we can all come together and be about the mission of making more and better disciples for Jesus. And so there can be disagreement with, among us, but what matters is having real unity that graciously disagrees. And so now maybe you're thinking, like, what is it that we could disagree on? Well, maybe you've seen this video before, but this is going to be a little bit of a test and experiment. And I'm going to play a video that's going to say a word over and over again. And my challenge for you is at the end of this video, we're going to do a poll and see what word you hear. All right, let's go ahead and play that video. Laurel. Laurel. Laurel, 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 Laurel. All right. How many of you heard the word Laurel? All right. That's what I heard the whole time. Good work. How many of you heard Yanny? Some of you, all right, we'll send you to Kurt for counseling. Uh, <laughs> now, the, the first time that I heard this video, the Goglins put together a training session for small group leaders, and I was sitting next to John Bartling, and I found out he heard a different word than I did. And so I told him straight up, like, yo, you're not even fit to be a small group leader. I, I was questioning his salvation in that moment. And so... We all know how easy it is when we believe something really strongly and somebody else believes something else really strongly that we can just like talk bad about them or what they believe in. Uh, uh, this is something that Josh Jones said last week and I think it's worth repeating that when we have disagreements with somebody that we should talk to them and not talk about them. And it can be really easy for us to talk bad about somebody and just let gossip creep into our church. Or maybe somebody has done something uh, that hurt you, and so you've got 
seeds of bitterness in your heart, and you could go to them and talk it out or make things right, but you choose to just not and just let that bitterness grow in your heart. And so for us as a church, my hope is that we will be so focused on loving one another and serving God that any disagreements that we have, we can either overlook or resolve among each other. And the problem for the Corinthian church is that their disunity was about uh, what they believed in, but also who they followed. So let's keep on reading in verse 11 here. Paul says, My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Still another, I follow Christ. And so Paul's talking about the divisions among the church here where people are claiming loyalty to their favorite high-profile ministry instead of just being focused on God and being unified as a church. And so I can understand why Paul is one of those high-profile ministry leaders that people are like, yeah, follow Paul, because Paul was the guy who first started this church here in Corinth. And I can just imagine people in the church talking to the newcomers about how they know Paul, being like, oh, you're new here? Yeah, so you probably don't know Pastor Paul. Pastor Paul started this church. I was here right from the beginning under the ministry of Pastor Paul. He has such a great ministry to the unbelievers. Like this guy can do evangelism like nobody's business. And Pastor Paul and I, we go way back. You probably don't know Pastor Paul because you haven't been here, but we're so tight. And then we've got this other guy named Apollos. And we know a few things about Apollos from Acts chapter 18. And I think it's so cool when there's overlap in the Bible because Acts chapter 18 is all about Paul coming to Corinth and starting the church there, and it even talks about Apollos. So if you get the chance, I really want to encourage you to go back and read just chapter 18 of Acts, and that'll fill you in on some of the background about 1 Corinthians. But this is what we know in Acts chapter 18 about this guy named Apollos. It says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. So to kind of put it in modern-day terms, I think Apollos would have had like a PhD and two doctorates from the seminary. And he was the kind of guy that mega churches would want to preach at their church. People would listen to his messages and be like, ooh, I like listening to Apollos. And people probably would have been so devoted to him that they would sit in on first and second service just to hear him preach. Like, I know that's crazy devotion, but this guy, he had a following. But then we've got another guy in the mix, and his name is Cephas. And at first glance, you might be like, who is this guy? But fun fact, this is actually one of the 12 disciples, Peter himself. And we know this from John chapter 1 and verse 24, where Jesus said, or Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, 
you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So this guy named Cephas is actually Peter. And so now we know why he has a following, because Peter was like Jesus' main man. Like, Peter heard all the teachings of Jesus firsthand. He even witnessed a lot of the miracles of Jesus. He watched Jesus raise a man from death to life. He watched Jesus feed 5,000 people, turn water into wine. And Peter himself even walked on water by the power of God. And on top of all of that, to add to Peter's resume, he even wrote a couple of books in the Bible. And so I can imagine believers from the Corinthian church going to a Bible conference with their books of First and Second Peter for Peter to sign for them. So Peter, he's a big deal. And now we got this other group of people, and they say, we follow Christ, which sounds super spiritual. And it, maybe you would think, all right, these guys are finally getting it right. But I don't think that's the case, because Paul lumps them in with all of these other Uh, factions of people, all these other divisive groups. And so these people who say, we're following Christ, they probably just had an inflated view of how spiritual they are. They're probably like, we don't need no pastor, we just follow Jesus. And so they're causing division within the church just within this own way. To give you a more recent example of something like this, I know it's not super recent, uh, but there was this pastor from the 1800s named Henry Beecher. And this guy was an incredible preacher. People would come from all over the place just to hear this man preach, and they would pack out the church building. Now, there was a Sunday service where Henry was sick, and so they had a fill-in preacher come up. And so when this fill-in guy came up and it was announced that Henry was sick, Some people started to just get up out of their chairs and leave the church because like, oh, if Henry's not here to preach, why are we even here? And this fill-in guy was really quick on his feet and he said, all people who are here to worship Henry Beecher may now exit the building. If you are here to worship God, then please keep your seats. And so it is not wrong at all to have a favorite pastor or a favorite teacher or ministry leader But what is wrong is when we're more devoted to a personality than to the person of Jesus and giving God the worship that he deserves and being a part of the mission that he has for us. And so even though Paul is one of those like celebrity pastors in the group, he wasn't like, hey, let's go team Paul and like start smack talking Apollos just so he could get more attention for himself. But instead, let's look at how Paul responds here. In verse 13, he says, Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. It sounds kind of crazy, but Paul is saying that he's glad that he did not baptize more people. I was like, what? Is baptism a bad thing? 
I mean, just last week, we celebrated two baptisms at our campus, and that's something that I get excited about every time we have a baptism. So why is Paul saying that he's glad he didn't baptize more people? And I think it's because Paul didn't want to do anything that would gain a following and a loyalty to himself and distract from a loyalty to God. He didn't want to baptize people so that they could turn around to their friends and be like, hey, guess what? The apostle Paul baptized me. You know, like God's favorite servant? Yeah, he baptized me. That's a, that's a pretty big deal, right? Because baptism isn't about being identified with Paul or whoever it is that baptizes you. Baptism is all about being identified with Jesus. And so Paul didn't want to take away from that. He just wanted to be all about the mission that God had given him to go out and reach more people with the message of salvation. He's not trying to be some kind of celebrity pastor or anything like that. And my hope for us as a church is that we will be unified around one God and one ministry of making more and better disciples for Jesus. If we have any kind of disagreements among ourselves, that we can work it out and that we wouldn't let it distract us from what is really important, that we wouldn't be more devoted to a personality than to God himself and the mission that he has for us as a church. And so just as we wrap up, I want to leave us with two questions. And the first is, is there someone in the church that you have not been gracious towards? Is there somebody that maybe you have been talking behind their back or you've had a disagreement with and you're just choosing not to resolve it and maybe letting bitterness grow in your heart? And so are you willing to take steps towards being gracious to that person? The second question I have for you is, are you more devoted to a leader or a way of doing ministry than to the mission or than to Jesus in the mission of making more and better disciples of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the one who gives unity to the church, that we don't have to manufacture that within ourselves, that you are the one true God who is worthy of all of our worship, all of our devotion. And Father, there's so many things that can distract us from that. Sometimes we get caught up in our disagreements, in our preferences, um, in our devotion to all the wrong things. And help us to just stay focused on you. And I ask that you would continue to use us as a church to show to the rest of the world that we are your followers, that we love one another, and that you would use us to take the message of hope to those who don't yet have a relationship with you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.